Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, worship team. Now, if, um, I'm Adrian, uh, one of the teaching pastors at Alpine Church, and we're, we're jumping into week number four of our series on culture wars, right? This, this idea, this, this battle that's going on, um, I would say going on in the church and outside of the church, in our nation, uh, and around the world, uh, about this idea about whether or not th- uh, we're going to go with God's truth, right? Whether we're going to believe God's truth and, and, and apply those truths in the way that we live our lives, or whether God's creations, us, are going to try and define our own truths, right? And, and live by our own truths. This, this, this cultural war that is not only happening in America, um, this is a war that has gone on since man was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and every culture, every country, every society of mankind has experienced this, this war, this cultural war between God's truth and humankind defining our own truth. You know, in the first week, we talked about as we try to live this life and, and, and live it by God's truth, applying God's truth to our life, that we will likely experience trials, that there's a, a good possibility that we may even be persecuted in one way or another for trying to apply God's truth to our lives and live by those. We've looked at um, how Christians you know, those who have put their trust in Jesus as we are in the middle of this war with the secular culture around us, how that secular culture should not define how we react, how we respond in this war, but that we should be, um, that it's, it should be, we should be identified as, as children of the kingdom of God, and this should define how we react how we live out our lives. And then last week, we talked about how this, this culture war, in this culture war, God's truths are, are twisted and distorted by the cultures around us, by the secular culture around us. And now, um, you know, some would say that this culture war is getting worse. Some would say that the culture war, that things are, are getting worse. And to be honest with you, I'm not quite sure that that's true. You know, what I'm kind of more inclined to believe is is that we have the tendency of choosing what pieces of God's truth are more important than others. And I think when those those choices that we've made of what truths are more important and which ones aren't, when those truths that we have selected that we believe are more important or more valuable kind of get, go under attack, are, are attacked by the culture around us, I think that's when we begin to believe that the war is getting worse. And the reason I say this is because there's been a war that has been waging ever since Adam and Eve got kicked out of that garden. And it's a war that has been raging in the hearts of humankind, in the hearts of you and me. And that's why we've titled this sermon for today is Winning the War Within. And here's the big idea. 
the culture, the culture war isn't just a battle we fight on the outside. There's a character war we first need to win on the inside. So whether you, you believe it or not, you are embroiled in the middle of an eternal war, a war that's going on in your heart. Will you follow and pursue God and his truth? Will you allow God's truth to, to impact the way that you live your life? Or will you define and follow your own truth? This is the character war that we're fighting in our hearts today. And as we look at chapter 4 in 1 Peter, what we're going to do is, is pull out five kind of five ideas that, that, that Peter talks about that we can apply to our life to win this war that is going on within our hearts. And I think what you'll see is, is in each of these five ways, if, if you apply them to your life, if we're, if we're pursuing these five ways, um, it's going to allow us to grow closer to God and apply his truths to our lives. And the first one I believe that we see when we open up chapter four is the idea of chasing God. The idea of chasing God. And we'll start in verse one there. It says, so then since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had. And be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Now, I don't know about you, but, but this passage I, I find a little bit difficult to understand. I mean, what, what does it mean when it says, if I suffer physically, I'll be done with sin? You know, there was a time where a lot of people used to believe that, that if we suffered, if we suffered physically, we could actually get rid of our sinful nature. And so they would actually punish themselves, whipping themselves on the back and, and actually hurting themselves in an attempt to get rid of their sinful nature. Now, I, I don't believe that this is what Peter was, was actually talking about at all, because it's impossible. We will always have our sinful nature. But in order for us to understand what Peter was actually saying, I think we've got to remember who Peter was, was writing to, right? Who, who Peter was writing to. And, and he's writing to the, the early Christian church who is currently being persecuted by the Roman Empire, right? The, the Roman Empire was very lenient on different religions, Right? The, the Roman Empire would bring in the, the different cultures and the different peoples that they would conquer. They would allow them to, to worship their own gods and to carry on with their own religions. But what they would do is they would also have to acknowledge that the emperor was a god and worship and make sacrifices to him. Well, obviously, this was a problem for the Christian church. And because of this reason... They were persecuted at certain times in the Roman Empire, and this was one of those times. And Peter is, is writing them, encouraging them to win this war within because of the persecution and the trials that they're experiencing on top of that. And he wants them to adopt 
the attitude of Christ. I mean, this is what he's saying. He's saying, in the same way that Christ suffered physically in order to fulfill the will of God, have the same attitude. Have the same attitude. And so think about what Jesus did, right? Jesus, um, for his love, out of his love for God, and, and matter of fact, out of his love for God and out of his love for us, Jesus made up his mind that whatever he had to suffer in order to fulfill God's will, in order to honor God, it was going to be worth suffering. If you remember, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. He decided it would be worth suffering out of his love for God. Now, unless we're complete narcissists ourselves, the idea of suffering for, for something or someone we love shouldn't be that strange to us. I mean, how many of you, how many of you have helped somebody move? See, now that's love, right? I mean, when you help somebody move, you're suffering. I, at least I am, because they're not asking you to help move the small boxes, right? They've asked you to come over and help move the furniture that takes, while you're holding it, five, ten minutes to figure out how you're getting it out of this three-foot doorway, right? You're trying to spin it one way while the person on the other end is trying to spin it the other. And that's after the couple of times you tried to go through the doorway and smashed your hand, right? I mean, we know what it means to suffer for love. Parents, how, much, how many times have you suffered out of the love of your children? How many times have you suffered out of the love of your children? I've got a lot of kids. And you know what? They, they like to be in sports. They don't drive. So I've got to take them to every single little practice and game. I enjoy watching them play. Now, don't get me wrong. But I'm sacrificing something out of the love for my children. My wife, she sacrifices a lot for me, right? I'm, I'm what they call a snorer, okay? And I, I inherited it from my dad. I, I snore loud. I mean, I'll, I'll be sleeping good, but I snore loud enough, sometimes it keeps her awake. And out of her love for me, she hasn't moved out of our bedroom yet. So the idea of suffering for things and people that we love really isn't that strange to us. Because we do it in different ways every day. And Peter is encouraging the church to take the same attitude that Jesus had. He says, love God. Love God like Jesus. Love God in such a way that you're willing to follow God's truth. You're willing to, to follow God and apply God's truth to your life. You're willing to chase God even if it costs you something even if it costs you something. You know, Peter goes on and he says, for if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Now, now again, this isn't saying that, that we're going to uh, never, that we're never, 
let me, how to, how to say it. This isn't saying that we can somehow get rid of our sinful nature. No, no. What some theologians actually kind of point to in this passage is the idea of the final suffering that we will all get to experience, right? Someday we are all going to die. And in that final suffering, if, if we have put our trust in Jesus Christ, right, for the forgiveness of our sins, we've been ushered into a relationship with God. When our bodies die, our spirit lives on. And our spirit lives on in a relationship with God where we will no longer be struggling with our sinful natures because it has died with our physical bodies. But, you know, I don't believe that this was the only thing that Peter would have been pointing to. Because I think Peter wrote this letter to, to the early church to, to actually provide them some information that they could apply to their lives in their current situation. And so I think as we continue to read on in verse 2, it, it helps us understand again a little bit more of what Peter was saying. And this is what he says in verse 2. He says, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You see, what Peter is talking to the early church about is being in love with God. Being in love with God and chasing him. And, and having that, being in love with God so much that, that, again, you're willing to sacrifice to the point where you're living your life freed from sin. You see, when the Bible tells us that when we put our trust in Jesus, right, when we, when we put our trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of, the, of our sins, we're made new. Right? We're, we're forgiven for our sins in the past, our sins in the future. We're made new, made new creations. We're given the Holy Spirit who, who dwells in us. And the Bible tells us that we've been freed from our sinful nature. And see, when we're chasing God, when we're pursuing God, when we're in love with God, we're living in that freedom from sin. Does that make sense? It means that, that our desires are to glorify and honor God. And that desire increases and grows as we're chasing after him. Peter is encouraging the church to chase after and love God. So that that transformational work that God has promised he would do in our lives would begin, to, would begin to take place in our lives as he empowers us to live free from our sinful natures. We have another choice. You know, the opposite of, of, of chasing God is running towards destruction. And Peter actually points this out in verse 3 and 4, and, and one of the ways that we can win this war within is by not plunging into destruction. Look what it says in verse 3. It says, You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness, 
and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. Now remember, the early church started in the Jewish culture, right? Started in the Jewish culture. And, and, and some of these things that, that Peter is talking about, they, they existed in that Jewish culture, but they weren't done in the open and they weren't uh, acceptable, right? But now as the church is growing, the church is growing in the Gentile cultures, in, in cultures and civilizations where some of these things were acceptable, some of these things were more acceptable and, and even done in the open. And so Peter is, is talking to the, the Gentiles in the Christian church who kind of grew up in societies that, that kind of accepted different kinds of behaviors that didn't honor God. And he's saying, you've, you've experienced enough of that. Don't go back to that. Don't go back and plunge into destruction. You know, when you think about it, the, the stuff that, that he mentions here, like, like lust, right? These are all things that really that God has created, not lust itself, don't get me wrong, but, but, but God has created things for us to enjoy in life, right? He's created things for us to enjoy and partake of in life, but within boundaries that he's established and that he's given kind of outlined for us in his word. And see, what, what the secular culture does is takes these things that God has provided and distorts them and perverts them and then invites us to, to accept them and, and participate with it. Like lust is a, is a distortion and, and a perversion. I mean, God created us to be attracted to one another. He, he's created us to have desires for one another. But again, within the framework that he's outlined in his word. And when we kind of indulge in these things outside of God's framework, that is when the destruction and the damage takes place. How many marriages have been destroyed by lust? How many children's lives have been changed forever by lust? Fasting or feasting and drunkenness, right? I mean, feasting. I mean, God is the one that created stuff for us to eat. God is the one that created people with the ability to be creative in the way that they prepare food. And I'm thankful for it because I like eating. And, and there's so many things that, that the creativeness that people have of putting all different kinds of things together for us to eat. Like, God has done that for us to enjoy it. You know, the Bible even says that, that wine was given to bring joy to men's hearts. But again, God has provided these things for us to enjoy, but within the framework that he has laid out in his word. The secular culture distorts what God has provided. And there we get feasting and drunkenness that Peter is talking about. I mean, how many lives have been destroyed by, by drunkenness? How many families have been destroyed by drunkenness? 
You know, it's interesting that Peter even mentions worship. He, he speaks specifically about the worship of idols, but you would have sociologists, both secular and Christian, agree, some agree, that, that we were created to worship, that having a desire to worship something is part of our DNA. You see, we were created to worship God, not to worship ourselves or to worship other created things. And when we worship ourselves and other created things instead of God, it draws us away from God and creates destruction in our lives. You see, the world has a way of twisting and distorting the things that God has provided and then enticing us that in some way we would find fulfillment or, or happiness or, or, or pleasure from it, enticing us to partake of it. And Peter says... Don't plunge into destruction. Don't plunge into destruction. Because the, the things that we're looking for really can only be found within the boundaries God has provided and in our relationship with God. You know, Peter goes on uh, down in, in verse 7, and he actually adds prayer, sharpening your prayers into this lift and is encouraging the church to sharpen their prayers. Look what he says in Peter 4, 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and dis disciplined in your prayers. You know, he, he, he speaks about the urgency of the end times, the, the times that we live in today, the urgency about prayer. And do you know why? Do you know what prayer is? Prayer is all about your relationship with God. Prayer is talking to God. I mean, can you have a, a relationship, a good relationship with somebody that you don't ever talk to? Has anybody ever had a good relationship with somebody that they've never communicated with? It doesn't exist. There is no relationship. See, no relationship works like this, and neither does our relationship with God. Neither does our relationship with God. Now, how many of you have had a relationship with somebody that you wish didn't communicate so much? Right? Somebody that it seems like they're talking off your ear all the time. You, you even have that compulsion sometimes that you, you kind of want to get away from them because they want to talk to you so much. Well, I want to promise you, God is never going to, to treat you like he wants to get away from you. God is never going to be frustrated or irritated like us if you want to talk to him all the time because God wants you to talk to him. He wants you to pray to him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. And this is why Peter is telling the church and, and telling us to be earnest in our prayers. Talk to God. Share with him your hopes and your dreams, your, your struggles, your concerns, your desires. Talk to him about which direction you're supposed to take, what decision to make. See, the more earnest and disciplined we are, in our prayer life, the closer we're going to be 
in our relationship with God. And you know what? Maybe this means that you have to schedule some time with God. Not in his schedule, but in your schedule. And I know that sounds kind of weird. Usually, you know, usually the, the more important or the higher person, the more important person has to schedule you in. But I promise you, God is not going to be offended if you schedule him into your schedule because he wants to know you. And maybe it will help you develop a, a, a habit of going to God in prayer and developing that relationship with him. But you know what? Praying isn't only about uh, us praying for, uh, to God for what we need or, or us talking to God, but it's also about lifting others up to God in prayer as well, right? Lifting up others to God in prayer as well. And Peter goes on in verse 8 talking about another way of winning the war within is actually showing love in practical ways. Look what he says in, in verse 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. You know, I think Peter understands that, that we are really at our best when we're in a loving community with one another. You know, matter of fact, Jesus says this in John chapter 13. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the world should, should see the love of Jesus Christ, should see the love of God in our love for one another. And, and not only that, that, that same love that God wants us to show to one another is the same love that he has designed to be our support as we're fighting this war, this battle within ourselves. You see, Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. You see, the truth is we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. What better way to, to help one another fight the war within than to love one another? You know, have you ever found yourself at a point in your life where you were ready to take that plunge? Right, that, that plunge back into behaviors or about to make a decision that, that wasn't going to honor God. And for whatever reason, the weight of the world, the weight of life, um, something happening, what, whatever the reason, you were about to take that plunge. And you gave, were able to give somebody a call. And that individual was able to encourage you. That, that individual is kind of able to talk you off that ledge and, and remind you of, of who God was and remind you of God's promises and remind you that there was hope. Have you ever thought about being that person to someone? Being that person to encourage someone as they're struggling to win that war within their own heart? You see, Peter is actually talking about us loving 
in practical ways, loving one another in practical ways. Not just saying, love you, bro, as we pass down the hallway, or love you in words, but actually loving one another in practical ways. You know, mentoring somebody is, is one of those practical ways, right? Being that, that person that is there, that, that you invite somebody to give you a call when they're in the middle of that battle, when they're about to take that plunge to, 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 to follow after their own desires rather than honor God in their life, you're the one that has opened up that door for them to give you a call so that you can encourage them to honor God. Maybe it's being that person that, that actually helps somebody, helps pick somebody up after they've already made that bad decision, right? After they've already made that choice and now they're experiencing that, that destruction in their life that sin causes. Being used by God to be the one that helps pick them back up, being used by God to restore them. Peter is talking about helping people, loving people in practical ways. See, in life, it's easy to get discouraged. In the middle of this, this war that we're fighting in our hearts, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to feel overwhelmed. It's easy to feel like the burden that we're carrying is more than we can bear. How encouraging would it be to have somebody that would come next to you lovingly come next to you and be willing to carry that burden with you. Be willing to ease that burden. Maybe it's a, simply having a, a meal taken to your house because maybe somebody in the home is sick and, and, and you're giving everything you've got to care for them and having somebody lovingly come aside and fix a meal for you and your family. So just taking one thing off of your plate. Maybe it's having somebody that would be willing to take the kids for a few hours that frees you up to get that well-needed rest or, or maybe just frees you up to take care of something that needed to be done. Maybe it's just the simple invitation of being invited over to somebody's house, just a break from the hectic normity of life and being able to fellowship with them and eat a meal have you ever thought of loving somebody like this? Loving somebody in a practical way. You see, loving people in, like this not only helps others in their battle that they're fighting within in their own hearts, but it helps us fight our own battle within as well. You know, Peter actually takes this uh, a step further in our last point as he encourages the church to use their spiritual gifts. And this is what he says in, in Peter 4.10. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have a gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him 
forever and ever. Amen. You see, we have all been given spiritual gifts. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you, you, you were forgiven of your sins, you were ushered into a relationship with God, you were given the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. And that Holy Spirit is bringing gifts, gifts from God that he desires you to use. Now, these, these gifts come in all different kinds of gifts, and, and we're not going to explore all the, the many different gifts that God gives to his children, but I encourage you that if you don't know what your gift is, chase after God and explore it. You can look in Romans chapter 12. It, it goes into a little bit more detail about what some of these gifts are. Also, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about these gifts as well. But Peter here, he, he kind of groups these gifts into two main groups, speaking gifts and helping gifts. Now, no matter what you, how you've been gifted, no matter what kind of gift you've received, we receive them all for the same reason, all for the same purpose. And the Bible tells us that they've been given to us to serve and love others and to build up the church. And the church is us, to serve and love others and build up the church. You see, we win this culture war by winning the war within. We win the war within by chasing after God, falling in love with the God of the universe falling in love with God, not, not going back to the things we knew before, not, not, not plunging into destruction, but sharpening our relationship with God through prayer, showing love to others. So we're not only loving God, we're loving others in practical ways, and we're also using our spiritual gifts to do it. So in short, we could say, that the way to win the war within is to love God and to love others. And this isn't something that we can do on our own. You see, we've been empowered to live this out in our life. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit, empowering you to fall in love with God and empowering you to love others. Are you winning the war within? Are you loving God? Have you fallen in love with God? And are you loving others? Will you pray with me? Father, we, we give you praise for, for being a, a mighty God, a loving God, a gracious God, uh, a God who forgives, a God who heals. And Father, my prayer is today is, Father, you would enable us to fall in love with you, that you would enable us to, to seek after you with everything that we have. And Lord, as your love overflows in our heart, Father, I pray that you would empower us to love others as well. You are worthy of praise. 
mighty and holy. In the name of Jesus, amen.